what is the relationship between mud and lotus? The lotus needs the mud to grow. Without the mud, there's no beautiful lotus. Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. I got to be honest, Kelly and I are still riding high from our last Mm -hmm. week, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago, our last episode with Frank and Muhammad from Softway. Um, Incredible. Oh my gosh. They really, really inspired us. We had silly grins the whole time (laughs) that we were talking to them. So if you have not yet listened to their episode, definitely go back and we'll link to it in the show notes here. Um, It's a stellar example of doing good business is possible, profitable, and packed with opportunity. mm -hmm. Stellar. Yeah. And they quantify it. mind blown. It's so good. It's so good. So we hope you listen to that. And we hope you love them as much as we did. Um, we are actually going to, in a couple of weeks, be able to do thanks to their generosity, a book giveaway of their love as a business strategy book. So stay tuned for a future episode on that. And one lucky winner will get a copy of their book, which is super exciting. Um, But today we're going to talk about something that was actually an idea that came from a conversation that I recently had with one of our former guests, uh, the lovely Matt Tinney. Uh, I was lucky enough to have breakfast with Matt last week and um, we were having a conversation and the phrase that came out of my mouth was no mud, no lotus. And so we're going to bring it into the business world today. Um, And really the Softway folks and their story, um, it totally exemplifies the you know, the rising, you know, the Phoenix rising from the ashes, the, the Lotus, the beautiful Lotus that grows out of the the muddiest, murkiest mud. Um, and their story demonstrates it. And we're going to share some more like that today. Absolutely. Well, you, you answered my first question because I was going to interview you and say, tell us, Laura, what is the relationship between mud and Lotus? The Lotus needs the mud to grow without the mud. There's no beautiful Lotus. Absolutely. And you were saying before we started the, the Lotus is the, like a symbol of resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're a spiritual symbol for resilience and, um, and they're just mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, like Google mm-hmm. a Lotus, they're really beautiful flowers. And, right. and then you learn about their story and how they grow from, you know, what looks like death, quite honestly. Right. Right. Amazing. Gee, what a metaphor for so much of what we're seeing I was in the say, world today. It's not a more poignant time to have this conversation mm-hmm. because I think, you know, if we just narrow our focus to the business world, which is what we're here to do, let's face right. it. Right. Right. I think there's a lot of companies that are in the mud right now. Mm-hmm. And what my goal and and I think our goal today is to to offer some hope. Um, right. you know, Muhammad and Frank left me with such a sense of hope. And mm-hmm. as so many companies are trying to figure out, you know, who are we after, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm using the term after very loosely here, but like after COVID or at this point in COVID. Um, mm-hmm. what do we do? How do we, you know, do we come back to work? Do we stay virtual? You know, it's a very, very muddy place. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, it is looking at and it's lotus. messy, right? Yeah, yeah. So muddy is messy. And I think, 
you know, when we, when you first shared with me, um, the concept for this show too, it was really about how do we take organizations? Mm -hmm. How do we take people? Mm -hmm. Because the change can feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And how do we get them to see how good the other side can be? Yep. So I am going to interview you, Laura. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, what then, what's at play? I'm endlessly curious. As someone who's fairly comfortable with change, Mm -hmm. um, I am endlessly fascinated at understanding what is it about the messy middle that people don't like. Mm. See, because I look at it as a growing pain. I'm not saying like, oh, give me the messy middle 100% of my life for the next, you know, however many years I have, right? But it doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. because I see that for what it is. And I think of it as a growing pain. Actually, I think of it as an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. So um, from the work that you do in coaching leaders and working with people and being so, so tightly um, connected, Mm -hmm. kind of you have your finger on the pulse of what other people are thinking and feeling. And tell me about that. What makes that uncomfortable, that messy middle? What makes it uncomfortable for them? I think the fear that it's permanent. I mean, what I hear when you describe your relationship to it is you fully understand that it's just part of the process. You understand the concept of impermanence, you know, not to get too like spiritual or into Buddhist philosophy, but really it's like, it's all impermanent. If you, if you like this moment, enjoy it. Cause it's going to change. And if you don't like it, don't worry about it. Cause it's going to change. Mm-hmm. And I think the fear that comes up in the messy middle is that oh shit, we abandoned all of our safety. We abandoned all of the things that we've always done. Mm -hmm. Now it feels really hard and it feels really scary. And we don't have certainty, you know, you can't guarantee that you're going to get a beautiful Lotus bloom. Um, True. People just get stuck there. People get stuck Mm -hmm. in the fear of what if it's always this way? What if it's always this hard? What if it's always, um, you know, this uncomfortable? Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, maybe I've just hit the point in my life where I have a little bit more trust in the process. Right. Um, and I ask for that from people and, and I'm very transparent. I'm like, yeah, it's going to get messy at a certain point. So we're going to be in it together and that's right. going to go and we're going to build some resilience together and that's what's going to happen. And it's all going to be okay. Um, but I think you and I both really understand that whole concept of impermanence and that this is just a part of the process. It's mm-hmm. okay. We don't need to stop it, deny it, or make it wrong. We just need to let it happen and move through it. Right, right. And I hear in what you're saying uh, that there's an intentionality to it, right? It does not, maybe, because lucky beats good, right? So maybe it happens by accident for people. Um, but I think that what I'm hearing you say is that there, there has to be an intentional desire to get through the messy middle, mm-hmm. right? Um, and to bring people in a way that is comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I talk about all the time changes in the light switch. You don't just walk in and say, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to make love our business strategy and everybody's like, cool. And it's, you know, sunshine right. and rainbows and unicorns, the rest of our living days. No, <laughs> it's not, you know, but it is a series of small steps. And, you know, thinking back to what Mo said in the episode, it's buying someone a coffee. It's offering to have lunch right. with someone. It's changing how you engage. And these small steps are what create the sustainable change. Mm-hmm. I have to say prior to all that is going on now and has for the last two years, four years, how, whatever that frame of reference is all the time, (laughs) I used to think I had seen some fairly significant shifts in two industries throughout my career. And in both cases, and I do think this 
remains true to today. The the business leaders, excuse me, who successfully led their companies through this change were business leaders who very much had the, hmm, what can we do now? Mm. As opposed to, oh no, what are we going to do now? Right. And I've probably mentioned this before, but it was just that mind mindset, right? That Mm -hmm. shift where they were like, okay, well, here we are. Here is not where we want to stay. So what can we do now? Mm -hmm. And I think that that was just transformational. And I think it's part of not only getting through or bouncing back, but as I've said before, bouncing forward, right? And becoming sought after. Because when you come through and the light dawns and everybody, you know, steps into the sunshine again, Mm -hmm. who is out there in the landscape, right? Well, we're going to turn towards the people who are thriving. And I find that those leaders particularly were um, curious. They were creative in their solutions, compassionate and confident. Oh, I love that. What a great combo. The four C's. Yeah, those are, (laughs) wait, give me your four C's again. Curious? Sure. Curious, creative in their Mm -hmm. solutions, compassionate, and I'll come back to that, and then confident. And I say compassionate because, you know, sometimes there's, you can reorganize people in the seats on the bus, and you know this better than I do, if you're shifting to something really new that you're doing, Um, and sometimes people aren't able to come with you, right? But then that's more about a counseling them out of the organization than it is mass layoffs done. They'll often self-select quite honestly. Like I've seen a couple of examples recently of people just Mm self-selecting right on out. And I'm like, excellent. It saves a lot of work. (laughs) It really does because everybody should feel comfortable where they are. And if they're not comfortable there and, and I, and again, that's not the first way. I mean, people are given the opportunity to, is this for you, right? We're going in a new direction. Is this for you? Um, But yeah, that's what I think about when, when I think about what I have seen Mm -hmm. done well, there's always those elements, but when those four attributes come together, that's when I really see magic happening. And yeah, I don't know if there are others that stand out for you, but those always come. No, I mean, I really think that's it. I think it's, you know, the word I was thinking of was empathy, but I think that rolls up into compassion when you said Mm -hmm. it, because, you know, we do, even though you and I are people who, you know, nature, nurture, right. Combination of wiring and, you know, the work that you and I have done and the way that we live our lives, like we are able to recognize that, you know, it's not great. Right. Like I don't want to feel the messy middle every day for the rest of my life, but I can tolerate it. I can tolerate that discomfort. And I need to be able to have empathy for the people that don't have the tools and advantages and, you know, come out baked in the way that you and I come out baked. So exactly. And that's compassion, you know, that's Mm -hmm. compassion for other people. And sometimes compassion for me, for myself, when I'm frustrated with those people for not coming fast enough, (laughs) like, come on, just get it. Mon, I don't see what the problem is here, right? Um, it's like you're fine, you're fine. Just do the thing; it's fine. <laughs> exactly. And then I have to remind myself um, that I have a learned fear of the down escalator. That's a story for another podcast. I'm oh, sure. all right, uh, a whole different podcast where <laughs> where Kelly unburdens. But um, when I have those moments too, Laura, where I feel like, come on. It's fine. Just come on over here. I have to re- remember, and I do visually re- think of myself standing at the top of the escalator watching That's so a smart. couple of steps go mm-hmm. by, right? Because I'm like, yeah, well, most other people can just walk on the escalator, yeah. Kelly. 
(laughs) So make a little room for someone who, you know, is feeling that same type of thing. Exactly. I say that all the time. I'm like, we got to give them grace. Like it's not, you know, and I, I much like you, I remind myself of that. I'm like, you got to give them grace. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's part of, um, you know, again, like just bringing the humanity in. I started a meeting a couple of weeks ago with two people in the same company and, you know, we had an agenda and we had stuff to do and yada, yada. But I started the meeting just by saying, everyone in this room is carrying a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking anyone to share. Mm-hmm. I'm simply acknowledging the fact that everything that all of us individually are carrying is in this room with us right now. Right. And we're going to get everything done and we're going to go through our agenda And the invitation is to give each other and ourselves some grace as we're going through this meeting. Mm -hmm. And it changes everything. So compassionate. Thank you. Thank you. It changes everything. So I'm curious, what have you seen, Kelly? So I'll switch the the table (laughs) around and I'll interview you. (laughs) What have you seen on the larger level, like in the company realm of, you know, companies that make a beautiful lotus bloom from a really muddy period? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Laura. Yes, I would say number one, the business leader, mm-hmm. you know, that could be in a small company, right? The founder or in a larger corporation, the leaders, someone has to have a vision mm-hmm. for where we're going. Yeah. Right. And in that vision, there they have to be able to address, you know, where one, where are we going? Mm-hmm. Why is it important to the company? And how will it impact me? Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, by me and anybody who's listened to us long enough knows, I mean stakeholders. <laughs> who's that? All the people essential to your success. So that is your your team. It's your clients, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're doing a substantial type of a pivot or, you know, that's what's going to come out of the mud for you in mm-hmm. the lotus, um, that might change for them, your suppliers. So I think it's really important to have a clear vision, mm-hmm. messy, muddy middle, mm-hmm. no messy, muddy vision. Yeah. It really does have to be pretty clear. Yep. And then I think too, um, again, we've talked about this before people commit to what they help create. Mm-hmm. So if you can invite people into the conversations that shape the, how you're going mm-hmm. to achieve that vision, then that's really important because it's a future that impacts them. And we want to have that kind of collaborative approach. That doesn't mean that everything that is shared will be implemented, but it does kind of nicely lead into the third thing that I think makes really successful for companies, which is when you are giving people a voice in helping to shape that future, invite them to share their stories because their stories inform strategy. And they do that, whether it's a personal story or maybe something earlier in their career or something with your company. But when they're talking about what works, there are so many things that could potentially inform your strategy for going forward. You'll learn about best practices Mm -hmm. of something that worked, right? And um, it allows in the telling of their stories, it allows their strengths to show up, especially if they were involved in that, you know, by asking everyone, what was your role in making that happen? Well, I brought my data visualization skills to this, right? Or I didn't know you had data visualization skills, right? So we don't know what we're going to find. Um, and it surfaces other useful information or data. I probably overuse this example, but many, many times I talk to companies and in, in these conversations, we find out 
you know, the common refrain is we don't have enough resources mm -hmm. for that. Well, when we start to really pull that apart and look at it and go a little bit deeper, we almost always find out there's some underutilized something mm -hmm. that is being paid for that no one's using. Yeah. And so then the question is like, do we need that? Right. So you'll get this data or you'll find out things because people are so much more closer to the market, maybe than you are as the business leader, because they're working with your customers all the time that um, you'll get some really like leading edge data on where the market is going that you might not necessarily get from reading the Wall Street Journal or your industry publications. And then it makes room for new knowledge, creativity, right? The remix. And that that's what I call it anyway, because you can take from other people's stories and add your own to it. And you've got this whole new thing, right? It's just what we hear in songs, right? They take these old standards from like the 70s and the 80s, and they add something, some new beats to all of that. And look at that. We have a whole new song here. Mm -hmm. And it's the same type of a thing in organization. So I think having a clear vision, right? Um, letting people kind of help you create this because mm -hmm. that's where you get their buy-in, not mm -hmm. after you've created it. And it to them mm -hmm. and then inviting them to share stories of what's worked. And I just think with collaboration, like, I mean, it's funny to me that this is like a novel concept, but I always like six brains in a room are better than one. Right. I mean, is right. that, <laughs> well, and, and I don't find that a revolutionary statement, but sometimes it feels revolutionary when I say that. And I think that way, I'm like, I always want to hear other people's input. Doesn't mean I'm going to do what they say, but I want to understand. Cause I can, I say this all the time. I can only see the world through the lens of the 45 years I've been on the planet. And like, why wouldn't I want to see someone else's opinion and lens and experience and have that be into, you know, be a part of what I'm doing? Absolutely. And I think that that's partly this shift that we are doing the messy middle as we transition from a hierarchical approach mm -hmm. to, you know, a more all-encompassing self-directed organization mm -hmm. where, we were expected to have those answers. There really was only one perspective that mattered. And it was then about implementing that. And we've completely flipped that model and we haven't flipped it. It's just that the way we've evolved with technology and the, the bandwidth that we have and the, our access to information, things that we didn't have before, it makes that model of one person having all the answers less effective when we talk about being su successful today. So I think that's a really important thing. And respect, I want to share one other thing on that. Yeah. Organization or a smaller team, and you've worked together for a long time. You think you know people, right? Mm -hmm. But our perspectives change. We have um, changes in, I don't know, education, right? Mm -hmm. It starts to change our perspective. So to make the assumption that we know what someone else is thinking is also kind of a, a trap in the mud. So That's so smart. And you're exactly right. Like when people have worked together for so long, you know, we form early opinions of folks and we just keep them like they've exactly. cemented in. And when you collaborate and you get curious to use two mm -hmm. of your four C's, mm -hmm. you get to learn or unlearn, as I've been mm -hmm. saying recently, like you get to unlearn what you thought about somebody, if there in, in fact has been a shift. Exactly. And so, right. So from the one-on-one -on -one standpoint, you have an opportunity to generate a better understanding of one another 
over time, these kinds of conversations really do strengthen the relationships and deepen connections. And I, I think it's a, a part of the winning recipe for moving forward. Yeah. And I think that if we're going to build anything that has a strong foundation, connection has to be at the heart of it. And that can be a thing that exists in business. You know, mm-hmm. like if we go back mm-hmm. to the Lotus, there's, you know, there's an entire root system exactly the surface that's growing and, you know, creating itself under the mud that we can't see it. So we have to have that connection in, in our organizations. Now, thank you for that. Cause you just brought up a really great strategic point and I've said it before. I will say it again, but it's that identifying what works. So we look at mud and we see mud, but we don't necessarily see that this flower, this beautiful flower is coming out and growing in the mud because we can't see the root system, everything that you just mentioned, right? And the the composition of the mud and how much sun is needed. We don't really think about those things. And I think it's similar in our organization. We tend to focus on, um, well, you know, what's what's missing, what's broken, but we also just tend to dismiss things that on the surface seem to have no value. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm constantly encouraging people in business and nonprofit organizations, wherever they are, right, to really start to observe what is working. And how does something grow out of that mud? What is the composition of that soil? How much sunlight is needed, right? What other factors go to what insects come by? Because there's so much order in what looks chaotic Hmm. to us or unplanned. And it's the same in an organization. I've got three. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, I love that. I mean, like I, I, I've always loved, you know, since you and I met back in, you know, the olden times, like I've loved that whole concept of what's not working. And, you know, we've gone on and on about like, stop having postmortems and stop doing all these things. Let's just start talking about what's working. Cause you're right. Like when you look at the conditions that the Lotus blooms in, you know, the mud is actually something that is working. And so is the sunlight. Mm -hmm. And so is the water. And so is the air. And so is the, you know, the insects, like you'd mentioned. Right. So it's all of that. And so I've got a couple of stories that I found when I was preparing because, you know, I love to do that. Uh, Play-Doh, love Play-Doh, have always loved Play-Doh. Play-Doh was launched in the 1930s as a wall cleaner. I don't think I'm pronouncing this correctly. Kutal. It was designed to clean the black residue that coal heaters left on walls. However, demand for the cleaner declined dramatically over the next two decades, that's 20 years as oil and gas heating became more popular, right? So looking for a new direction, the company heard of a school teacher using the product in arts and craft classes. They observed what was working. Kutal quickly reincarnated as Play-Doh, a multicolored modeling compound that we all know and love, now owned by Hasbro. And they've got a market cap of about $14 billion with more than 2 billion cans of Play-Doh distributed worldwide. Fun fact, when I was three, I stuck some up my nose because it smells really good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you mostly for that fun fact at the end. (laughs) Absolutely. But here's right. We're, we're observing something that works and, and, and I think too, in here, I would love to, you know, I'm sure we all love to think that all of our problems are new and unique to us, but apparently back in the 1930s, they were dealing with some of the same problems, right? There was change and the change caused a decline in the demand for their product. And it took them a really long time to adjust. But when they did, when they, their messy middle was protracted, but when they got through, they got through it. 
Yeah. And I just think they could have very easily said, oh, well, you know, there's no more coal heating yeah. inside. They don't got the doors walls. So it's been a good run and right. it's been a full. <laughs> and instead, I mean, kids still play with Play-Doh. I it's know. been around for almost a hundred years and what a beautiful Lotus they've created. We love that. I'm giving you another one. Uh, Cause I think everybody's really familiar with this one. Starbucks originally launched selling espresso makers and coffee beans, but Howard Schultz, their CEO went in 1983, he took a visit to Italy and that's when he got the idea by observing what works to actually brew the coffee beans in a European style coffee house. And we don't even have to go to what the rest of the story is on that one. Gazillions of dollars. <laughs> right. I mean, and one in every corner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we live in a relatively small town and I think we have three Starbucks in our town, right? But we don't have a a, a physical branch for a very well-known bank. And I'm like, how can that be, right? <laughs> so I can walk into a Starbucks, but I can't walk into my bank. So anyway, um, Another just fun one, and I'll uh, kind of leave it there, is, um, oh, trivia question. What was YouTube's original unofficial slogan when they launched? And you'd have to know what they launched as, so maybe that's a loaded question. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough, right? It was a video dating site. and oh, they're, they're, I didn't know that either. Yep. And their unofficial slogan was tune in hook up when they launched on Valentine's Day in 2005. So the concept never really took off. But one of the co-founders posted the first ever video famously saying elephants have really, really, really long trunks. And this inspired users to post silly videos of themselves on the site because they saw that this was fun, right? It was something that was elevating people. And from that, they were able to just keep building on it. That is a little, right. A little order in chaos. So I found those stories and they are not necessarily the, the doing good business stories that we tell, but they are certainly elements in their stories that people could bring into their own strategies for moving through the messy middle and in the doing good business side of it. All of the companies that we talk to have in some meaningful way flipped this model of you have to launch and become a successful company first, profitable, and then you can think about your giving back and taking care of people on the planet. But look at Bombas, Danone, Greystone, Athleta, Tentry. These are all companies that started or very soon into the model said, hey, we need to bring this into the bottle sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. So we've got Bombas buy one, donate one. They started on day one. Danone, North America, they've got two good yogurt. And I always think about them because it's only two grams of sugar, which is ridiculously little for Mm -hmm. when you compare it to other yogurts, but it's flavorful. You can get the fruit flavors and all of that. And knowing the surge in diabetes, I'm like, that's a really responsible business practice, Mm -hmm. right? And they do a lot of good things with their containers, all that kind of good stuff. Greystone Bakery, they don't hire people to bake brownies, they bake brownies to hire people because they have open hiring uh, initiative. So they don't do the background check and they've got a wonderful support system around all of that. And their brownies go into Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Mm. Athleta, as you might suspect, empowering girls and women. And in 2021, just last year, diverted 74% of shipping waste from landfills and 71% of its materials are made from sustainable fibers. Wow. 
Here's uh, Tentree. They're an outdoor company that essentially thinks of itself as a forestry program that ended up selling clothes. So when you shift your perspective, you see a lotus emerging from the mud. Hmm. Well, if that's not full circle, I don't know what is. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you, Kelly, for the mic drop moment. And um, thank you for the topic. Yeah. Mara, thank you. I mean, it was just so incredibly creative and inspiring. So thank you for that. Mm, thank you. And I will say on a personal note, it really makes me feel happy to feel as somebody who's been in a little bit of a creative rut lately, I feel really happy that it's starting to come back. So thank Excellent. you, Kelly. And thank you all of our listeners for uh, indulging my newly returning creativity. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. You know, what are the muddy situations that have created a Lotus for you? Um, if you are in the messy middle right now, you know, how can you support yourself to lean into the trust that there is a Lotus on the other side? Um, absolutely. And you can do that. We have our LinkedIn page doing good business. You can go to the website doingbusiness.com. There's a contact us page there, share your story with us, right. Yeah. And let us know. And, Laura, you're, you kind of handle the other Instagram, Facebook, where yep. else can people DM us on us? the Instagrams, you know, doinggoodbusiness.com is always the best place to find us, but socials, you can message us on LinkedIn, um, DM us on Instagram. And uh, those are probably the best two places, but yeah, if you're in the messy middle, just give yourself all of the compassion and empathy mm-hmm. and let these stories inspire you to recognize that there is a Lotus at the end of the mud. We will be back with you in another couple of weeks. Take good care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business Podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.